0: Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 5, the very last part of the book of James. So we work toward the end of this great letter. <clears throat> you may have noticed this morning that our worship has taken us on a roller coaster of emotional highs and lows. We began with the call to sing for joy, to shout aloud to God our strength. And then we sang three of our more upbeat songs. But then when we read Psalm 102, we're reminded of the reality that we live so much of our life in the pits of despair. In Romans 8, we heard the apostle instruct us that even those who have the Holy Spirit still groan inwardly All the time until the day we see the Lord. Oh, but we were comforted that God is working it all according to his plan and that his presence will never leave us. Mm. Up and down, down and up. Been through the emotions this morning. You might think somebody might have planned better. No, it was intentional. We need to be reminded of the joys of life, and we need to be reminded of the despair of life so that we can understand, so that we can have a proper frame of reference to listen to what God says to us in this text. I'd like to read verses 13 to 16, but just verse 13 will be our text this morning. Just verse 13, but let me read verses 13 to 16. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any anyone of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We'll end there. Have you ever been at a ball game, and uh, you're watching the game, and it's an intense game, it's right down to the wire, it's in the last part of the game, and it's close, and you're, you're watching intensely, and just at the crucial moment, when the, when the play is going on the field and it really matters what happens right here, some dumb thing happens where you're sitting. Somebody spills their drink and it goes all over your lap or some stupid little thing, and, and, and inevitably you're distracted for a few seconds while you kind of get out of this and get the mess out of the way. And you look back at the game and you missed it. You missed the most important play of the whole game. You sat there for the whole game and you missed the moment that mattered. Distracted. I think that's what happens with this text. People are reading and studying James, and they get down to this climax as James begins to bring together so many things he's talked about, make his last powerful point, and all of a sudden, we're off on some tangent. We're distracted. And the most important thrust of this passage gets missed because suddenly we're into, what does it mean to anoint with oil or something? Now, we're going to talk about that next time. We're not going to talk about today. But today, we want to just put away all the distractions and all the problems and all the questions you might have, and let's try to focus on what the main thrust of this whole last part of James is about. Let's confine our consideration to this one great theme that runs through all of these verses, and here it is. Pray, no matter what. Pray, no matter what. That's the theme. That's the thrust of this whole section, but it's especially the theme of verse 13, which we're going to discuss this morning. Now, we need to hear this. <coughs> Somehow, Christians, people who believe in prayer, people who believe God's in control, people who believe, theoretically, that talking to God about something would be the most effective thing that you could do, And yet somehow we get into the practice that we only really pray when we have the ideal circumstances. I mean, if things are going well and everything's going great, well that's not a time you would pray because then you're going to celebrate and enjoy it while you can. And if things are in the pits, well, nobody feels like praying when they're in the pits. I mean, there's anger and frustration and disappointment. That's no time to pray. And so here, James, oh, the Holy Spirit, takes us to those extremes of life, to the worst and the best of days, and says, in both and everything in between, prayer is appropriate. Pray no matter what. Now let's talk about these extremes a minute. There are actually two things here, the time of trouble and the time when you're filled with the joy. And so let's talk about each one a little bit. First of all, in time of trouble, cry out to God in trouble. Pray no matter what means that we cry out to God in trouble. The key word here is the word trouble, or hardship it might be translated. This is the word that the Apostle Paul used in, uh, in writing young Timothy when he says, Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you've been a soldier you know something about hardship. I remember when I was in pilot training my next-door neighbor was a young army uh, officer who had just come back from Vietnam and he talked to me he told me about his platoon having their clothes rotting off of them from crawling through the swamps and uh, for endless endless days. Now that's hardship. Hardship. Trouble. This isn't sickness we're talking about here, it's just trouble, it's suffering, it's misfortune, it's calamity, some hard experience. For the prophet Jeremiah, it was the constant, ceaseless opposition. No matter what he said, they were against him. For Ezekiel, it was a bereavement. Grief for his native land, he'd been taken away. Grief for his wife, who he was not allowed to grieve for. For Hosea, it was marital breakdown, an unfaithful wife acting the part of a prostitute. For you, it might be financial trouble or a difficult situation at work or trouble in your home or trouble with your children, some inner struggle, some emotional distress, some fear, some source of defeat, some cause of stress, trouble, hardship. We've all seen and experienced some of those things. And we all react to them. We respond when we face trouble. All kinds of responses come to mind. (coughs) Sometimes we strike out at those who are close to us. We hurt the very ones we love, though the trouble didn't come from them necessarily. In fact, they may be in the same trouble, and yet we don't know what to do. And in our frustration, we strike out with words or acts. Or sometimes we wallow in self-pity. I'm the only one who's had such trouble. We begin the downward spiral of depression, feeling isolated and alienated from everyone. Or sometimes we become cynical and complain and assign blame to everyone else. Or sometimes we withdraw and become moody, demanding to be pampered. All kinds of responses that come easy to us. But hardship is common to all of us. Trouble comes into every life. And James dares to tell us that this is an opportunity to pray. Cry out to God in times of trouble. Pray no matter what. This is an old theme for James. Back in chapter 1, he calls us to persevere in all kinds of trouble and then he went on to call us to pray when we lack the wisdom to know how to deal with it. Perseverance and prayer, perfect together. Characteristics of the Christian life. We have the same thing here in chapter 5. In verse 10 he uses this word for hardship or trouble or suffering as in the example of the prophets patient endurance of the prophets that we're to imitate and now in verse 13 the same hardship or trouble is to be an occasion for prayer once again perseverance and prayer perseverance and prayer characteristic of the life of the people of God so this morning I call you to pray no matter what to cry out to God in times of trouble. Here's where the rubber meets the road in our faith. We say we believe lots of things. Do we really? We say we believe God is sovereign. Really? Then when I don't understand my trouble, do I believe he understands it? When I'm not in control, then do I believe that he still is in control? When I don't see any possible way that this could have any good for anybody, do I still believe that his plan is perfect? When I'm totally totally out of answers, do I still believe he has answers? We either believe or we don't believe. God is either God or he's not. When we're in the depths of trouble whether we really believe that or not, is going to be expressed in whether we do what he says, cry out to God. See, that's what sees beyond this present mess. That's what sees beyond this present situation, the apparent meaninglessness that we face in life all the time. And that's what causes us to, to think like God thinks and to try to view things from God's perspective and to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to his plans and to his sovereign care that's the only place that we can live. That's the only way that we can know perseverance. That's the only way that we can endure without faith becoming just empty words, some cruel joke. I call you this morning to pray no matter what, to live your life openly before God in communion with Him, and especially in times of trouble, to cry out to God, Now, the problem is that so often the trouble we face is not out there attacking us. It's inside eating away at our soul. What do we do then? What do we do when the trouble is our own flesh, our own guilt, our own love of evil, our own fear of God's judgment, our own coldness of heart, our own rebellion? Then what do we do? Still cry out to God in that trouble. Oh, I remind you of the good news of the gospel, God's powerful message of salvation. He knows your struggle. He knows the filthiness of your soul. He knows the hopelessness of your situation. He knows the utter impossibility of you ever cleaning up your act. He knows better than you how many times you failed. That's why Jesus went to the cross, because he deemed you totally helpless And hopelessly unable to fix your life. But by dying in our place, he took our punishment so that we might be free. He earned for us a life of fellowship with God now and forever. But you see, we'll never come to know that forgiveness and that fellowship until we come to an end of ourselves. So God in His mercy brings trouble If you didn't, we would just constantly be trying to patch up everything and hold life together, you know, strapping duct tape on our souls and thinking maybe we can last a little bit longer and it's everything's all right. And God says, no, I'll show you. I'll bring you to an end of yourself. And in his mercy, he brings trouble, trouble like we never dreamed that could happen to us. Why? To make us so desperate that we finally give up on ourselves. Give up trying to maintain the facade that I'm cool and I've got it all together. Give up trying to play the church game thinking, well, I'll be a good church member and sit there every Sunday and I'll get enough points and I'll be okay. Give up on every hope of fixing ourselves until totally stripped of every self-confidence totally stripped of every self-help trinket that we ever trusted in. We desperately cry out to God in our trouble. And then we understand the promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the way God brings us to himself to make us his children. But it's also the way that we live, like little children. We don't get to the point that, I'm all self-sufficient now, I can handle everything, God. There's no such place to stand. Paul thought that. He had some weakness he couldn't shake, and he said, God, you've got to take this weakness away now. We're, I'm the great apostle. God says, no. Oh, Lord, you've got to take this away. now. Please, Lord, take it away. No. Finally, Paul says, I guess God wants me weak. I guess God wants me living in hardship at the end of my rope all the time. For when I'm weak, I'm desperately cast upon him and I see his strength. So Paul says, I glory in my weakness. I delight to be in trouble. I delight in the hardship, the, the persecution. I delight in it. For when I am weak, I cry out to God in my trouble, and He shows His mighty strength. This is the way we live: praying, no matter what, calling out to God in time of trouble. Well, so how do we pray in times of trouble? How should we pray? Well, we look at, could look in the back of the hymnal and see if there's a form here for this prayer. No, there's no form. Well, how would you pray if you were a drowning? (laughs) How would you call for help? Any way you could. (laughs) Help! Save me! Whatever. Indeed, in our text this morning, we read in Romans 8 that in this life we continue to groan inwardly, and often we don't even know how to pray. Don't know what to say. Don't know what to pray for. The trouble is so deep and so profound, but we cry out to God for help. And Paul says that the Spirit of the Lord Jesus who lives in us prays from within us. For he knows exactly the will of God for us, and the one who searches our spirit, he understands the language of the Holy Spirit who prays according to his will. Oh, see, we need not be afraid that we haven't used the right words, or we haven't said it right, or we're intimidated somehow. No, we pray no matter what we cry out to God in trouble, for he helps us in our weakness, in groans that we cannot utter. utter. Pray, cry out to God in trouble. Pray, no matter what. Thinking all of life is not trouble. Sometimes things are going pretty well, and some of you are probably sitting here saying, man, I'm glad I'm not in trouble. I'm glad my life is together these days. I'm glad I'm enjoying a lot of peace. Well, uh, James has something to say to us about that too, which brings us to our second point here. Fill good days with praise. Pray, no matter what, means not only the cry out to God in days of trouble, but that we fill good days with with praise look at the end of verse 13 is anyone happy let him sing songs of praise how do you celebrate when things really go well when something exciting has happened how do you celebrate that what do you do when you get really happy we can go to most any bar after a big ball game and you find people celebrating celebrate so well that we can't remember how we celebrated the next day what a strange way to show happiness Drink yourself unconscious. God calls his people to respond differently, to celebrate in his presence every good thing, to pray no matter what, and that means filling good days with songs of praise. God's church has always been filled with praise, always been filled with music. In Corinth, when they gathered for worship, we read in 1 Corinthians 14 that many of them brought songs to sing. Maybe songs they'd written, some of them. The Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Ephesus and Colossae, and he told them, he instructed them to teach one another and to counsel and admonish one another. And interesting, you know how they're to do that? With songs and hymns and spiritual songs. A way to speak to one another. God's praise. In 81.11, Pliny wrote the Roman Emperor Emperor Trajan, to inform him of this sect of Christians and what they were like. One of the ways he described these Christians was their characteristic singing. Whenever they got together, they sing hymns to Christ as God, he wrote. Strange religion. I'm not an expert on world religions, but I understand that there is no hymnal that there is no congregational singing in Islam, nor in Buddhism, nor in Hinduism. Ah, but the people of God, those bought by Jesus Christ, filled their days with songs of praise. Now note that this is different than even what we often see in churches. We've too easily become spectators in church. We get Christian performers and Christian professional musicians and we make the church service into a little concert and we all sit and watch and pay the bill and we confine our singing to those formal occasions. That tends to be true when we're high church with choir and organ and when we're low church with some rock and worship band. It still is the same. We confine our worship, we confine our singing to the professional musicians in, in the appointed place. God calls all of us to pray no matter what, filling all of our days with praise. Praise is prayer with a cheerful heart. But a praise is not confined to this building. We're to be filled with singing everywhere. We read in Exodus 15 that Moses and the people of Israel sang on the banks of the Red Sea immediately when God delivered them from Egypt and destroyed Pharaoh's army. Moses wrote a song, and there they sang it on the banks of the Red Sea. Miriam and some of the other women led them in tambourines and dancing, rejoicing, filling their days with praise, celebrating God's goodness. David wrote songs when he sat out on the hillside, tending his father's sheep. We have them preserved for us, psalms of praise. Paul and Silas sang out loud and clear while they sat chained in a, in, in a prison in Philippi. Everywhere. You see, when our hearts are filled with praise, it might just break out anywhere. I remember a few years ago reading an article of, the, uh, of, a, of a Chinese aircraft, which was an uh, airliner, which was hijacked. And there was a struggle with the hijackers, and the airplane was momentarily out of control and looked like it was doomed to, to crash. So it was interesting what happened when the pilot finally recovered and got the thing on the ground and people deplaned. That the little group of Americans on board spontaneously broke into praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below. Songs of praise, just the natural spontaneous outpouring of what God's people do when they rejoice. And I'll tell you, if you've never put a Keith Green tape in your car tape player and Crank the volume up until it blows your speakers out and driven down the road singing at the top of your lungs, you've not lived. Maybe you don't like Keith Green, whatever you like. It's just normal for God's people to fill their days with songs of praise for it to spill out at the least provocation. Doesn't matter whether you can sing or not. Hey, you enjoy your kid's kindergarten school program, didn't you? Never did so many adults find such delight in such terrible sounds. (laughs) And you think your heavenly Father doesn't rejoice in the sound of his children? It's not the high fidelity of the sound, it's the fidelity of faithful hearts filled with praise that God delights in. Mistakes and all, monotones notwithstanding. Well, there's one other interesting note here. The word for happy, which we see here. Cheerful, it could be uh, translated. It's used only two other times in the New Testament. Both of them are in times of adversity. It's used in Acts 24 where Paul, a prisoner in chains, stands before Felix and says, Felix, I cheerfully make my defense before you. I'm happy to make my defense before you. And the other time is in Acts 27 when Paul, the prisoner, is in the middle of the shipwreck and he addresses the other uh, passengers on this ship and he says, Be of good cheer. Interesting. You see, for the person walking in communion with God, the times of trouble and the times of cheerfulness are often hard to distinguish for they both come from God. They both come from his fatherly hand, and they both are met with praise and prayer. So no matter what, keep on praying, and that means filling good days with praise. One of the most remarkable passages in the New Testament, I think, is the account of Jesus driving the money changers from the temple seems so different than what we see of Jesus on other occasions. What was it that made him so passionate about that? What was it that he saw not happening that made him so angry? Do you remember what he said? My house will be a house of prayer. Jesus was passionately concerned. Now, these days God does not live in a house of brick or mortar, some temple sitting on some site. No, nowadays the Lord dwells in a temple made of living stones, people redeemed by his blood, you and me. Individually and as we gather, the Lord present among us, whether in this building or any other building. But God's zeal, that his house be a house of prayer, has not diminished one bit. So that we read in Hebrews 13, Through Christ, therefore, let us continually offer sacrifices of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Peter says a similar thing, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare his praises. His house is to be a house of prayer. That's what this whole passage is about as we look at it for another two or three weeks. God calls us to pray no matter what. To call out to him in times of trouble. To fill our good days with praise. But he's going to go on and say, and in the time of sickness, pray. And in the time of sin, pray. No matter what. And who's to pray? Well, in verse 13, it's addressed to us individually. In verse 14, we're going to see a call to the elders of the church to pray. In verse 16, we're called together to pray for one another no matter what. Pray. 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 Amen. Thank you, dear Lord, that you have given us a way that we can come into your presence. Oh, Father, we say that we believe that we have access to the most holy place, but our lives belie that. Lord, we So seldom come into your presence. We spend so few of the hours of every day, of every week, in songs of praise or crying out to you concerning our trouble. Oh Lord, we have a whole line up of of uh, things that we might do first. Ways to respond to trouble. Ways to celebrate good days. Oh, Lord, in practice, we have so many things that we do before it comes to mind to be in your presence. Forgive us, Lord, for the hypocrisy that says we believe something and yet practice it so meagerly. Thank you, Lord, that you called us not just to some formal kind of uh, prayer in our closet, but that you called us to songs of praise and rejoicing in every circumstance. And may we be faithful to you in each of those. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.